elders, deacons, preachers, and saints. This is lesson number seven in that series. And the title of this lesson, The Role and Work of Deacons. And I can't do all of it in one lesson, so this will be part, part one. We're going to do part two next time. So far we've, uh, we've talked about elders and their wives and the great responsibility that they have in their respective roles. The elders, of course, in protecting against false teaching, promoting and directing good teaching, as well as good works, and providing an example of, of hard work and faithfulness as a mature Christian to the congregation. Let's face it, if, if you can't depend on your elders to provide leadership and example, I mean, who's going to provide that? That's the whole point of, um, of their selection to serve in that role. And of course we mentioned the wives supporting their husbands with reverent behavior and instruction to younger women concerning good conduct, good home management and service to the church, to the community. Very much a, a kind of a team, um, a team effort when it comes to service to the church, uh, an elder and his, uh, and his wife. And of course you know, blessed is the church that has an eldership and God's blessing be on our own elders, if I haven't mentioned it already, as they seek to perform the task that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks on our, on our behalf. And let's make sure that we don't make their job unpleasant for them. You know, remember, it's a volunteer job. It's one thing if somebody you know, is paying a big salary to do a job, and so, but this is a volunteer job. All those extra hours, all those extra nights, all that extra burden, all that extra stress, you know, they volunteer to do this out of their love for the Lord and their love for the church. So our part, those who are not elders, the saints, our parts to cooperate with them, obviously to support them. And it falls well that you know, today we're, we're praying for, you know, in our prayer, in our month of prayer today and throughout the week, we are praying for our ministers and for our elders, for our deacons. I don't think that should just be done once you know, a month or once or one month out of the year, but it should be part of our regular prayer routine to pray for our leaders. All right, so let's talk about deacons, shall we? Uh, deacons, the meaning of the word, very uh, helpful. 25% you know, of the words in English come from the Greek language. And because of that, many words were not translated into English from the Greek. They were merely anglicized, or the term is transliterated, transliterated. And the word deacon is one of these. Uh, another good example of words that are transliterated is the word baptism, for example. The Greek word baptizo, if you translated that word into English, it would be to immerse. But the, uh, the, the, those who translated the Bible from the Greek to the English, instead of translating the word baptizo into immerse, simply anglicized it or transliterated it, and the Greek word baptizo became baptized. Well, it's the same thing with the word deacon. The original Greek word was diakonos, and it was brought into English simply as Deacon. It wasn't translated, it was transliterated. All right? The word simply meant a servant. Now we need to understand in the Greek world there was much slavery and so there were many words used to describe this class of people. 
For example, uh, bond slaves were one type of slaves. Um, they were property, simply property owned by the master. Uh, in Matthew 10 verse 24, Jesus says, the servant is not above his master. Here the term is bond slave, property. There were boy slaves who were like family uh, to the you know, owner, to the master's family. Um, in Luke chapter 7 verses 2 to 10, you know, the, the, the centurion who comes to Jesus because he's concerned about his slave. The term there was not bond slave, but the term for boy slave. Someone who is almost like family. And in this case, the centurion's boy slave was sick and he sent for Jesus to heal him. And this was the term that was used for that particular slave, a boy slave. Then you had a whole class of domestics, people who worked at, in the home, inside people, if you wish, served there. Another example in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus uses this term, the domestic, no servant can serve two masters. And if you understand that he, the word he's using is domestic, it makes a lot of sense. You know? A person who serves in the house of one person can't be a domestic in this house and be a domestic in somebody else's house at the same time. You, know, you're, you can only be in one place. And so he selects that word. And then there were subordinate officials who served kings. They were still slaves. But they were very, uh, they had a lot of responsibility. Um, it says in Mark chapter 14, verse 65, those officers who received Jesus with slaps, those officers there, that's the term for subordinate officials uh, who were not free, they were slaves, but they were, um, you know, they served kings, they served leaders, governors, and so on and so forth. So the word deacon, however, was not uh, the word for bond slave or boy slave or anything like that. The word deacon referred to a servant who was a waiter, an attendant, or a courier. That was the task attached to this particular word. A waiter, like, you know, don't we say, you know, we're in the restaurant and we say, uh, could you send our waiter over? Could you send our server over? If you were in the Greek, you would be saying, could you send our diakonos over? Not our boy slave, not our bond slave. You understand what I'm saying? Our diakonos, our waiter, our server. A couple of examples here. In Luke chapter 10, Martha, remember the story, she complained that she had to serve the guests by herself. She was upset with her sister Mary who was sitting there listening to Jesus, you know, attentive to what Jesus was teaching. Martha's upset, she goes to Jesus, she complains. And the word she uses is that she had to serve the guests alone. In other words, she had to wait her by herself. So a form of the word diakonos is used there. In Acts chapter 6, when they chose men to serve the food to the widows, 
the word for the work of serving the food to the widows was the word diakonos, to waiter the food. They were waiters, they were servers of food. In Romans chapter 13, verse four, the word is used in its courier sense. The authority of government is the messenger or the courier of God, the diakonos of God, the messenger of God. In Romans chapter 16, verse one, Phoebe is referred to as a diakonos because she brings a message the word is used in its courier sense here. Okay. So the Holy Spirit you know, selects this particular word which describes a servant who serves as a personal attendant, a messenger, and uses it in a Christian context of ministry within the church. And we've seen this before, haven't we? we you know, Jesus selects words that may be in common usage and he gives that word a particular meaning and from then on that word continues to mean a, a very special thing within Christianity. The word church for example, ecclesia, the called out originally meant um, or, or originally referred to the elders of a city you know, who were called out, who were separated and called out to be the, you know, the, the what would you call them today? I guess city council, if you wish, you know, the city fathers. Those were the ecclesia. But Jesus selected that common word and he gave it specific meaning. And so the ecclesia became the church. The called out, yes, but the called out for a special purpose, to serve God to be the kingdom of God. And from here on in, we, when we use the term church, we certainly don't refer to the you know, city council. We know we're talking about a religious body. Same thing uh, here, uh, what we're trying to explain. So the point is that before Christianity, the word simply referred to a particular type of servant or a particular type of service. And in this case, a servant who had a particular duty that involved serving food or running errands. Sometimes, depending on the way the word was written, it referred to the individual. Sometimes it simply referred to the service that the individual was doing. So the New Testament writers began using this word to refer to a particular person in the church who did a particular work. Since the word referred to a servant and his relationship to a task, it was well suited to describe the role that we now use and we now refer to as deacon. Okay, so just a little bit of background as far as where the words come from and how they were used originally. Now there are only three places in the New Testament where deacons are referred to and what we know about them, uh, excuse me, what we know about their qualifications and work are drawn from these particular um, passages. So let's take a look at the first one. would be in Acts chapter 6. Let's read that. It says, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. See that? Daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. 
Therefore, brethren, select from, among your, uh, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of that, this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. So here the term deacon is not used, but the verb describing their work and from which their name would eventually come is used. The church, you know, let me just set it up. I think we're familiar with this passage in Acts. You know, the church is growing quickly and along with it the responsibility for benevolence. So it seems that they were serving food to the poor, they were providing food for the poor and there was a, a debate, some were being neglected, you know, there was maybe a little accusation of favoritism going on here, you know, the Jews were taking care of the Jewish widows first and the, you know, the others uh, secondly. Some feel neglected in the distribution, so a, co a complaint arises which actually threatens, not the food distribution, threatens the unity, because do you notice in the passage Already this us and them situation arrives because they mention two different groups by culture. And so the unity of the church is being threatened here, not just food distribution. So the apostles settle the matter by calling for diakonos, for serving, waitering, which was not their calling. Their job was to teach and to pray, to lead, not to waiter, not to distribute food, not that that wasn't an important ministry, but it wasn't their ministry. So the, the apostles established basic criteria for these servants that we kind of saw in this passage. First, they established a limited number. I don't know why seven, other than it was a significant number in Jewish numerology. Maybe it was based on the work, the amount of work. Nevertheless, they didn't say, just pick any, any amount that you want. They said, choose seven. Uh, doesn't mean we have to choose seven at a time, but they at least made known to the congregation how many they were to look for. Um, they were selected by the congregation from among the congregation. Unlike elders who are selected by either the evangelist or other leaders, the deacons are selected from among the congregation, the congregation itself puts forth the people that may serve in this area. Thirdly, they were men. They were not women, they were men. Uh, Peter specifies males, yet there were women who qualified in other areas. I mean, there were women in that church who were full of the Spirit, that were full of wisdom, full of goodness, you know, that had all the kind of spiritual requirements. But, but Peter's very specific. He could have said, select among all of the congregation people or those who are full of the Spirit. But he doesn't. Very, very specific. He says to select men who have the following qualifications. Uh, they were to have charge or they were appointed responsible over a particular task. Before the apostles did it, 
but could no longer carry the burden of it, so they gave charge of the task to other people. Now the mistake I think that we make many times in the church is that we give the work to the deacons, but we don't give them the charge over the work. If you're going to give the deacons the work, they're in charge of it. They're responsible for it. I'm not saying that there's no oversight because the role of the elders is to oversee. But the charge to get the job done belongs to the elders, uh, to the deacons rather. Once the guidelines were established, the work was in the hands of these men and not in the hands of the um, apostles. Next, the task was singular. These men were chosen for this task and not to be the apostles' assistants at large. You know, they were not assistant apostles. They were selected for a specific task. If they were going to be you know, the apostles' assistants, well then they would have chosen 12 of them and not, not seven. So deacons were servants of the church. They assisted the church, not the apostles. They assisted the church in carrying out this particular task. This is why they were chosen among the brethren by the brethren, because they were the servants of the brethren. Okay? Very important to remember that. So in the same way, the deacons are, I've heard this, people say, well, the deacons are the assistants of the elders. No, they're not. That's not their role. They are the servants of the church. Their task is outlined, overseen by the elders, but they don't serve as assistants at large to the elders. We don't see this anyways in the, in the Bible. And they had specific qualifications, things that almost speak for themselves. For example, a good reputation. I don't have to explain what a good reputation. A good reputation you know, 2,000 years ago is the same thing as a good reputation today. No need for more explanation. They had to be men who had a good reputation. Full of the Spirit. Now of course all Christian men have the Holy Spirit. They have Him when they're baptized. right? Acts 2.38. But some demonstrate more fruit of the Spirit as they are growing in Christ. And in the same way that we determine, you know, how do we know, you know that an elder has the, the qualifications or enough of the qualifications you know, to serve? And we said, well, it, it's evident in them that, that the things that, you know, the qualifications, you kind of see those things. Well, in the same way for the deacons, the same thing is there. How do we know that you know, this man is full of the Spirit? I mean, that's a very hard thing to determine, right? Well, not really. You, you begin to see the fruit of the Spirit being evidenced in that man's life. Okay. Full of wisdom, it says. As deacons, they also needed particular wisdom or understanding in practical ways. They're not called on to teach. The requirement is not that they're apt to teach. Notice it doesn't say that. It doesn't mean that deacons cannot teach. Of course they can. Many of them have skills to do so. But it isn't a requirement in order to be a deacon. So what does he mean, wisdom? You know, in the Old Testament, God filled men with wisdom as artisans and painters and builders to build the temple. I believe in the New Testament, He still gives men gifts and wisdom to carry out the various tasks 
that they have been given in the work of the church in various areas, whether it be building or administration or service or giving or whatever needs to be done requires a particular type of wisdom. Today, you know, we might call that skill. A person is skilled in finance or administration. Another man is skilled in the, all the building trades or specific building trades, you know, so on and so forth. So we're needing a person who can take charge. If you're given charge, you have to be the one who can take charge and get things done. You know, there were no further complaints about food, um, uh, about this situation. You don't read further on in the book of Acts that the, the, el the elders, the apostles had to get together and have a second meeting about this food business. And, and you don't see you know, more fighting and infighting. And so the problem apparently has been taken care of. There was a problem. These men were selected, put in charge of this task. And uh, we, we surmise that the task was taken care of. Okay. Um, next, uh, they were different kinds of men. Notice that the list of deacons includes Stephen, a Jew, Nicholas, a Gentile convert to Judaism, who became a Jew. So they were different, different types of, of people. And they were ordained or they were commended. You know, people say that everybody is a deacon or what makes it you know, what makes being a deacon so special or what makes it a role? Well, the fact that one is chosen by one's peers based on specific qualifications and then approved of publicly by the leadership, that's what makes this role or service separate and apart. As I've said before, everybody needs to serve. Everybody's fine, men, women, young, old, everybody needs to find a way to serve in the congregation. It's just that deacons have been charged with a specific responsibility. That's, that's the big, uh, big difference. So deacons are a special and separate role from elders and preachers and saints by virtue of their qualifications, their selection, and their uh, commendation. A second passage, remember I said there are three passages, a second passage that mentions deacons and the first one that actually refers to them as such is in Philippians chapter 1 verse 1. Here Paul says, or the writer says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ, uh, saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi including the overseers and the deacons. Notice he mentions three separate groups here. The saints, that's everybody, and then the overseers, another word for elders or pastors, and then the deacons. Notice a very separate category that Paul recognizes. Paul recognizes. Now Paul wasn't, you know, he wasn't in the church at Jerusalem when these first seven were selected, when this role was created. He wasn't there then. But by the time he's writing to the Philippians, this role is something that is already well established in the church to the point where Paul is actually addressing these individuals specifically. Saints, all of those who have been baptized into Christ, those are the saints. Elders, those who have been selected or appointed by the evangelists or by the apostles or by the leaders to oversee the congregation, deacons, men who have been given a specific task in the church to oversee or to manage that particular task. 
All right, so let's kind of summarize here. My, my issue with this class is that there's too much to put into just one lesson and just enough to put into two. So I've chosen to kind of put it into two. Let's summarize a little bit. There are not a lot of references to deacons in the New Testament, but in the very first two that we have looked at today, we can conclude several things about deacons. All right? First of all, they are men who are spiritually mature that use their particular talents in special service to the church aside from the ministry of the word. Okay. The ministry or service of the word is that of elders and preachers. The work of deacons permit elders and preachers to concentrate on their ministry. Now this doesn't mean that deacons can't teach or preach. I've said that before. Stephen uh, was a deacon, yet he was very eloquent. First martyr, you know, very interesting. The very first martyr recorded for Christ was a deacon. And he was martyred not because of the task that he did, that serving food, that merely demonstrates his humility. No, he was killed because of his eloquence and his power in speaking and refuting the Jews. All right. Um, number two, uh, they're selected by and uh, uh, from the congregation and for the congregation. And they are commended into service by the elders. If you're a deacon in Choctaw, in this congregation, and you move and you move down to, uh, to Moore, to the Central Church of Christ in Moore, you move to that area and you leave here, the, you're a deacon here and you go and you move out there and you, you, know, you go worship, you place membership with that church, you're not a deacon in that church. They have to select you, they have to commend you. The deacons here are only deacons here. They're not deacons elsewhere. The elders here are only elders here. They're not elders elsewhere. All right? That's the, the system, the autonomous system that the New Testament teaches concerning the church. So deacons selected by and from and for the congregation. Thirdly, their leadership or their authority is connected to the accomplishing of their task. They have charge over their ministry once it is defined by the elders. And it can be sometimes a very large and complex ministry. You know, we had deacons uh, in this congregation who were basically responsible for the addition of, of you know, when we expanded this building back in the late 90s. We had deacons who were responsible for that addition. You know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of the church's funds uh, were handled by the deacons. In, you know, in the building process. Certainly the elders were there to oversee, but much of the work was done uh, by our deacons. Uh, number four, uh, there are no deacons without specific tasks. There's no such thing as a deacon at large. <laughs> I worked in a church once in California and there was a deacon and I was just kind of getting to know the people, trying to figure out their system, you know what I'm saying, who's who, who's doing what. 
And uh, so one of my tasks was I tried to get to know the deacons and find out, so what, you know, what is it that you do? What, what are you responsible for? Because I wanted to know, who, you know, where do I go to get things done? You know? And there was one guy, I couldn't figure it out. He was, he was a deacon, he was listed in the, in the bulletin, but I couldn't figure out you know, what it was. So I came up to him and I said, so what are you responsible for? He said, he thought for a while, he says, I'm the deacon of happiness. <laughs> Oh, really? I said, and how's that going? He said, well, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> so, uh, but then, you know, no names mentioned, but then when the elders you know, assigned, began to kind of bear down on assigning actual tasks to deacon, the deacon of happiness was no longer happy and resigned his happiness post. So <laughs> no job, uh, no, no deacon. Uh, since the, and there's a reason for this, since the word and the context refer to the one who does a specific job, well then when there is no job, then there's no deacon. I mean the work itself, the word itself you know, is all about service. However, a deacon can be given a charge over a small task and still be a deacon. You know, there are some churches that they have deacons and the only thing they do is they count the collection. That's all they do. They're responsible for that. Larger churches, the big responsibility. You, know, you really do need a, a man who is obviously honest and forthright and so on and so forth, but that's all that particular deacon does. So it's not about the size of the job. It's about the, the attitude of the man who's doing the job. So what determines the office is the qualifications of the man and his choice and the confirmation and the fact that he has a job to do. I mean, it's okay to have 20 deacons so long as they qualify and they have work to do. I mean, that's great. That means you know, people are owning or people are uh, feeling responsible for the various tasks in the church. And then perhaps one more thing I need to mention that uh, at times um, you know, brings us some, uh, uh, not division, but you know, there's a little bit of debate about this. Deacons constitute no authority as individuals nor as a group within the church. You know, some people say, well, the elders are over the, the, the people, the deacons are over the tasks. And I don't like to simplify things too much, but yeah, that's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of how it works. In some places, uh, some deacons think, if they get together as a group, they constitute some kind of authority, but that's, that's not supported by the Bible. Okay. They're not a committee, nor are they a lobby. Uh, they are servants with a specific uh, task. And someone said, well, how, you know, how do you know this? You know, well, if you read through the Bible, and especially if you're kind of, you know, you're, you're looking at the roles and you're, you're examining you know, what, what went on with the various individuals that served. A good example is in Acts chapter 15. There was a problem in one of the churches. Some people were saying that Christians had to um, uh, be circumcised. In other words, they had to follow certain Jewish laws and traditions before they could be baptized. In other words, they had to become Jews before they could become Christians. And to us that that sounds a bit ridiculous, you know, but in the first century when a great majority, the very first Christians were Jews, that was a point of debate. 
and they couldn't resolve that in that congregation, so they, they, they asked the apostles to look into it. And we read in Acts 15 that the apostles and the elders got together in the church to discuss this issue and to come to some sort of solution. Well, there were deacons in Jerusalem. There were deacons in Jerusalem at that time. In, by Acts 15, there are deacons in Jerusalem. Note, however, that they were not asked to come in to be part of that decision-making process. Just the apostles and the elders. Okay? So deacons do not constitute a lobby or an authority. It's okay to have a deacons meeting. What for? Well, to discuss the best strategy, I suppose, or make up a budget on how we're going to do something, how much it's going to cost, who's going to do what, maybe make a proposal that they'll put forward to the elders so that the elders can you know, kind of approve it, bless the project, whatever it is. But other than that, they do not const uh, constitute any type of authority. OK, so I'm going to stop right there because next time we're going to review the third scripture in this study and uh, look at deacons, look at some more qualifications about them, and we're going to talk about uh, their wives, the deacons' wives, and also we're going to talk about the issue of uh, women deacons, because that always comes up. What about why can't women serve as deacons? And that's why I didn't want to do everything in one class. I want to give uh, enough time so that we can talk about that um, and give it enough time for discussion. Okay, that's our class for today. Thank you very much.